Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, C3 Church. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I'm really happy to be bringing you the word this morning. Well, I hope you had a fantastic Easter week. Uh, what a weekend we had last week with hearing from Pastor Thierry from C3 Lausanne, and I think he brought a really stirring message to us for Easter Sunday. And it was a reminder of who we are in Christ. And I think that's a fantastic thing to do, to remind us. You know, the English writer Samuel Johnson said this famously, he said, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. And last week was one of those eye-opening re- reminders for me. And just speaking to some of you, I know it was true for a lot of us. If you missed that message, of course, you can always catch up on our podcast. So I recommend you to do that. If you missed any of the messages in the previous weeks, just go and have a listen on our podcast. I'm sure it will bless you. Well, for me, one of the things that really stuck out to me about Thierry's message was not to base our lives on anything like luck, intellect, or our own strength, but on the promises of God. And what a great time of the year to reflect on the promises of God than Easter, when we, when we reflect on what Jesus Christ achieved for us at the cross and made available to us as an inheritance. It was a reminder on Easter that Jesus paid a price for a prize. He had a prize set before him, and that prize was, as Thierry said, the nations. And that really got me excited to just just to be reminded of that fact, that he received that as an inheritance and that he gave it to his church to announce and to proclaim. And that is where we come in as a local church to announce and proclaim that Jesus has received the nations, that we are to go out and preach the gospel and to make disciples because of what he has done, because of what he has made possible. I just think that's an amazing fact to just reflect on. We were reminded by Thierry that Our true north as a movement is and always will be a church that is preaching the gospel and making disciples. That is why our faith initiatives that we've been talking about in these past few weeks in the previous series is all about reaching people, preaching the gospel. It's all about making disciples and doing this through building community, building his local church. So I think it just fits so perfectly in everything that we've been speaking about in these previous weeks. And I That's just the incredible thing about the Holy Spirit, that he just brings things together and brings us clarity and wisdom in ways that we can't even imagine. And so I'm just really being encouraged over these past few weeks, listening to these messages. I just feel like God is really speaking clearly to us as a church and really trying to prime us for our future. So I hope you are excited. I hope you are engaging with the message and that you feel that God is speaking to you at this time, because I believe he's calling each and every one of us to be a part of the future that he has destined for this church in this region. Well, today, you probably saw that we are starting a new series, and it's titled Walk. Quite simply, it's about you. It's about you, the disciple, and your journey of faith. So that's who I want to speak to today. I want to speak to you that's behind the screen this morning. And as we start this series, I want to kick off things by answering the why question of discipleship. I thought that's a good place to just kick off things. And so to start my message, I just want to mention three things about discipleship that I think are really important for us to remember. 
first of all, is that discipleship is not optional. It actually is it's part of the package deal of being a Christian. It's how you belong to the faith. You are part of the faith because you are a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what Christian means. That's the origin of the term. And secondly, it's a journey. So I hope you don't feel discouraged and maybe you don't identify yourself as a particularly good disciple right now or you may be just starting off. But that's okay because it is a journey and it's a journey that we have to take personally. There's no one else that can take that journey for you. Now your parents might have handed down their faith and their tradition to you and taught you about God or, or someone else that's been involved in, in your life and leading you to Christ. But ultimately, you have to go on your own journey of faith. You have to follow Christ yourself and learn the things of God through experience. No one can do that for you. But thirdly, the sign of a mature disciple, this is kind of the goal, the things that we want to see happening in our life is that we have an others first attitude. And that's not something that comes naturally. So that's why you know it's always a sign of somebody who has taken up their cross and is committed to being a disciple when they have that selfless thinking and they have that, that, that fruit of the spirit that is thinking about others first, that gentleness, that, that mercy, that grace over them. That's, that's evidence that God is working in your life and bringing about the transformation into the likeness of his son. Amen. So just got those three points out of the way. And uh, today, to aid me in my teaching, I want to look at the book of Luke, and in particular, chapter 9 of Luke. For context, the first eight chapters of Luke really establish who Jesus is and how his kingdom actually works. But from chapter 9 onwards, there are nine chapters about our series topic, which is what does it mean to be a disciple? These are the things, this is what we're going to be unpacking over these next few weeks. And so if you have your Bibles with you, just um, open up to Luke 9 right now. And um, I'm just going to read from verse 20, where it says this. It says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Okay, so we begin with Peter's revelation. We talked about that recently in a message. Peter's revelation of who Jesus was. He saw that he was the Messiah. And that was the beginning of his journey as a disciple, really. That was the point of of Genesis for his journey of faith. And that's how all our journey starts as well, with a revelation of who Jesus is. Maybe you can remember the day when you received Jesus into your life, when you realized that he is the Son of God, and you realize that he actually died for you. That was the starting point 
of your followership, of your discipleship. That was the start of your journey. But, you know, it's not just enough to agree that Jesus is the Messiah, to say, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, sure, I can believe in that. I'll buy that. It's, it's not enough to just have that confession. But that confession ultimately needs to be tested and matured. And that was definitely true of Peter's life. We can see that in the Gospels, that he was tested time and time again. He failed many times. The key was he kept persisting in following after Jesus. And this is true for us today, that our, our confession of faith will be tested and will mature in a context of a journey of faith. You need to walk out your faith. You need to take up your own cross. This is what discipleship is all about. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, again, many teachers would agree there's a few keys to being a disciple. You've probably heard these a few times. Firstly, it's about setting a new priority in your life. After you've accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, you start to rearrange your life around the person of Jesus and the things that he cares about. And secondly, as, an, as a byproduct of that, you find a new identity. You identify with him as his follower, as a Christian, someone that's trying to live a Christ-like life. But it, thirdly, there's, this is actually quite a very interesting one I recently heard about. It was from a sermon from a teacher called Tim Keller, who I, I really enjoy. He suggests it's also about living a new mercy. And I'll, I'll go into more detail about what that means a little bit later. But Jesus' teaching on discipleship, uh, and no doubt intentionally by Luke, begins with him setting out on his own journey to the cross. Let's read that in verse 51 of Luke 9 again. It says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. Well, that was uh, quite an interesting exchange taking place between the disciples and Jesus there. Uh, you know, a lot of teaching, as I said before, on discipleship will focus on the priorities and our identification with Christ. But perhaps this account hints at something crucial to all of that, the need to live a new mercy, just as Jesus exemplified there. And we live this new mercy thanks to a revelation of God's greatness and his goodness towards us as demonstrated at the cross. Now, as we continue in verse 17, uh, 57, we see that Jesus looks much deeper than what we say. He's looking to see if we really get it. Do we get the gravity of what he's talking about, of what he's done in our lives? So we can Read this now again from Luke 9, verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the serv- for service in the kingdom of God. Wow, you know, I used to really struggle with this passage. Um, maybe it's a personality thing. Those of you that know me are, are not quite as straight-talking as Jesus was in this passage. And i got to be honest, when I first read this as a young Christian, I think this came off as quite harsh. I, I was kind of wondering, what, Jesus, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to put people off? You're trying to offend people? Um, I can't ever imagine talking to someone the way Jesus did, particularly to that first man, where he's basically just pouring cold water on his enthusiasm to get involved. It's like I'm asking myself, I mean, Jesus, don't you want disciples? What is going on here? Why are you trying to put this guy off? Why, why are you being so negative, Jesus? But I think what's going on here if, is if we look at the nature of Jesus, we understand that he cares about family, that he is a compassionate person. I don't think he has a problem with what he is going to do. I think what he has a problem with is the fact that he's discerning a wrong-hearted attitude behind his response. See, he sees so much more than what somebody says. He sees the heart. He sees issues in your heart. And that's why the Holy Spirit is such a good counselor for us, because the Holy Spirit understands us. He understands what we really think, how, how we really process things. And so even though his response to us as a reader might sound really good on the, out, on the surface, he, Jesus wanted him to understand that he's not a savior that wins. He's not a guy who is Mr. Popular. He, he's not a guy that is going to set you up for a life of comfort and success always, and at least not in the eyes of the world. Jesus discerns and challenges that which is taking this man's primary concern, which seems to be, at this time, his comfort. It's kind of like, you know, people come into church and they, they have a, an awesome Sunday experience and they say, you know, I just left my other church I'm so glad to be here. Everything's great. Everyone's amazing. It's perfect. And I just want to say amen. Yep, that's absolutely true. But a side of me is like, I should probably warn them that they will be disappointed at times. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He he doesn't want to set him up for disappointment. He wants him to know the reality of the situation here, that this is not a life of comfort that he's being called to. And he maybe realizes that this guy is actually not ready to be a follower. He's not actually ready to count the cost of being a disciple. There's always more going on when Jesus speaks because he discerns, right? Now, the second man was told by Jesus, follow me. But then he he responded by saying, you know, I have to go and mourn. I mean, I'm recently bereaved and I have to go and mourn my and, and bury a family member. Now, Everything Again, everything we know about Jesus, I don't think he actually had a problem with that in itself. But Jesus sees that there is a reluctance in him that he's holding back. And we can explain often our reluctance or our, uh, yeah, just 
lack of commitment by explaining it away with, you know, there's a situation going on right now, there's my circumstances aren't right, you know, God, I, I want to I give you my life, but, you know, I need to get right first. And so Jesus is really honing in on, on a reluctance in this guy's heart. It's not about the recently uh, bere- bereavement that he's experienced. It's about a condition in his heart that he can see. Now, the last man, again, has a very reasonable request. He wants to go and say goodbye to his family. Now, I don't think Jesus is someone who, who doesn't want us to love and honor our family. In fact, I think in the Gospels, you see that he quite clearly does. But perhaps Jesus took issue with the competing priority that seemed to be in this guy's life. The fact that he said, but first. See, there's a principle behind why God instructed the laborers to bring the first fruits of the harvest to him. Because I think that God wants to occupy the first place in our hearts. He's jealous in that way. He wants to be our priority. He doesn't want any competing priorities in our life, even if they are good things, even if they are things given from God that he blessed and actually gave you. Nothing should take up that place in your heart that is number one other than God. So there was a competing priority right there, that we shouldn't give place in our hearts to anyone else than him as, as sitting on the throne of our hearts. Now, in the area of tithing, I can, I can relate to times where I've told God, you know, I will give, you know, I'm going to give something, God, but first, you know, I have, I have to pay this bill, or I've I got to get this thing, you know, I've just, I've just got to take care of this stuff first. And the problem isn't whatever that thing is. Often they're good things, you know, things that we have to do to be diligent and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But the problem is, is that God wants to be honored with the first fruits of our heart, of our time and resources. Now, Jesus probably discerned that this person was putting off what he would ultimately never do. And just like my wife is able to, to do, she, she can tell when I'm just procrastinating. You know, when she asks me to do something and I'm, I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do that. She knows the difference between, yeah, I'll do it and when I'm actually going to do it. She knows me really well. And that's the thing about the Holy Spirit and Jesus as well. He knows us really well. He knows when we're serious and he knows when we're just trying to, you know, sandbag and, and put things off in procrastinating. In procrastinating. He knows when, just like my wife, you're not actually committed to fixing this you don't recognize how important this is to me, right? When you plow, just as it says in Jesus's analogy here, when you plow, you have to give it your undivided attention. Back in the old days, I mean, you could hit a stone with your plow and everything would just go array. And so you had to to give it your undivided attention. And as a disciple, we have to be utterly focused on him. We have to be dedicated to him. Nothing else can compete for first place in our hearts and in our lives. Now, he uses the term here, fit for the kingdom, which is a bit unfortunate because it's not saying that you're not qualified because nobody is qualified for the kingdom of God. We are qualified because of Jesus. But what he's actually saying is in order to be useful, in, in order to, to be a good vehicle for the gospel, you need to work on resembling and, and knowing Christ and serving him and making him your highest priority, that's what will make you a good vessel for God. When he says, let the dead bury the dead, what is he saying? Is he saying like, you know, zombies should get out the grave and bury recently passed away people? And I don't think he's saying that. That would be weird. 
I don't think he's saying that. I think he's what he's talking about, and many commentators agree, is that he's talking about being spiritually dead. He is saying you can't possibly be alive spiritually and fully aware of what's going on here if you're putting me off. I mean, do you know who I am? Like, I know I created everything, the galaxies, you know, every person in history. I made all this happen, and you're putting me off? We're clearly not getting it. There's a spiritual deadness that must be in place. We're, we're not quite attuned there. Something's a bit off. You must be missing something. You don't get it. You don't get it. You need to wake up. And I can identify with that sometimes. Sometimes I just haven't got it. I haven't appreciated the gravity of what God wants to do in my life. I've put things off. I've deprioritized him. And I've said I'll do it later. It takes deadness to put anything before Jesus. Deadness spiritually. If you do that, there's a spiritual deadness in your life. And if you know me, you know that I'm almost never as harsh as Jesus was in these passages. But I can't ignore the importance of what Jesus is actually trying to emphasize to us here. If we aren't prioritizing him in our life, we can't fool ourselves that we get it. We clearly don't fully grasp what's going on here. We cannot say, I believe, but not live accordingly. I think if, I mean, if we could fathom the incredible awesomeness of God looking at his creation and just the vastness of it, and the complexity, and the beauty of it, and the power of his creation, and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he came and died for me and you. If we could just really just even get an inkling of how huge that is, how amazing and significant it is, would we expect this person, Jesus, to just be relegated to being our personal assistant that we call upon when we need him? I don't think we would. We're not getting it as much as we should. And I think that's the truth for all of us. We need a fresh revelation of what God has done for us. Amen. So if you reason that Jesus is our savior, yet he is not the highest priority in your life, then we might think we see it, but I'm afraid we don't. We need to wake up. And there's always areas in our life where we need to wake up and realize that we need to give it over to God, that we need to give him our best. Amen. So setting a new priority is, is, is not just about, though, it's not just about bending your will to his, but melting our heart into his. See, we need that revelation. We can't just say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to follow Jesus. No, we have to be people driven by purpose. We have to have a purpose that comes from a revelation of who Jesus is. And, that, and there's a desire in us to pursue the things of God. And in that, a byproduct of that, is that you will find a new identity. See, finding a new identity, it is as a byproduct of taking up your cross and doing his will. Jesus, he did the will of the Father, and he was crowned with a new identity. The key to a new identity is really well outlined in a verse that we just recently read, Luke 9. You can pick it up from verse 23 when it says this, Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? 
So you need to die to your old way of finding yourself. This is the blueprint that Jesus is laying out for us here. And through Jesus, find a new identity. Now, he's not talking about the Eastern approach to identity where you forget about the individual self, that you just, you just kill any idea of the individual and that you become one with creation, that you, you just humble yourself to insignificance. That is the Eastern way to peace and humility that you see in like Buddhism and, and other strains of religion. It's not what Jesus is talking about here, but you could read the first part of that and think that's what he's suggesting, to die to yourself. But then you have to carry on reading what he's saying there. It's also not the Western approach of finding yourself, where we find our deepest desires. Who are you? Find yourself and do those things. Be your true self. Well, the problem with that method is that our desires sometimes conflict. They hurt others. They can change over time. So it's not really a stable thing to build your identity and life on. You know, there was a really good conversations on this recently with Matthew and Christelle on the Sea Free Learned Facebook Live on a Wednesday talking about identity and really unpacked many areas of this really well. And I think it's something really important that we need to get a hold of. It's just our sense of identity. What does that build on? And so the pro- it's, it's like Jesus is saying, you will never find who you really are by trying to find out who you really are. But some things come as a byproduct of pursuing something else. In this case, as a Christian, we believe that as, it's, it's not when we try to gain the status that gives us a sense of wealth or family, money, fame, gaining to get. That's not how we get a sense of self. But Jesus says, not even the whole world can give you a stable sense of self. Only the eternal is secure. Only, only, that is the only firm foundation, the stone that you can build your house on, build your identity on. If you lose yourself for Jesus, you will have a self that you cannot lose. A true self, because we were built to know him. And through that, everything else in your life, your family, your, your career, everything that God has blessed you with will make sense through that self that is built upon the person of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to build your identity. So it's not just about prioritizing him or finding a new identity, but there is a third way of discipleship, perhaps the key to it all and the sign of a mature disciple. It's learning to live a new mercy. As we read, the disciples expected Jesus to deal with the haters, the Samaritans or the soldiers later at Gethsemane that try to come and take him in the same way that Elijah did. You know, you can read in the Old Testament, Elijah, he sent down fire on the enemies of God, the people that try to persecute him. I mean, he was an action hero that Hollywood would have been proud of. And, and maybe it's not so strange that the disciples expected the same thing of Jesus, because if you go back a few chapters before, you can read about the, the appearance of Elijah and Moses, the, the greatest prophet and, and the greatest uh, leader of the Old Testament who represented the law, they appeared with Jesus on the Mount Transfiguration, and it was made clear to the disciples that Jesus was actually greater than both these hugely important persons in the history of the Jewish people. So it's, it's not so hard to understand that they could have interpreted that wrongly as meaning this guy has an even greater arsenal behind him. 
that he deserves even more respect on his name, right? Like, that's not hard to understand. But the thing is that this Jesus fella, he did things a little bit differently to those guys that had gone before. He resisted that option that he had. I mean, he had the, the heaven card that he could have played any time. He could have sent down the armies from heaven to get him off that cross and give him victory here on earth. But that's not what he did because he was living for something greater. He had a greater purpose when he came to earth, which it makes it, all, all of these facts make it a little bit more perplexing that just a few chapters later from where we've been reading this morning, Jesus said this. He said, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. And it sounds like Jesus is having a bit of an Old Testament justice moment where you know, he's, he's getting fed up and frustrated and he, you know, he wants to bring down the fire like Elijah did. But the only thing connection that there is there is that this fire indeed does represent the judgment of God. But this fire would not fall on the guilty, it, but, it would fall, but it would fall on the innocent lamb of God who was Jesus himself. The fire of judgment that Jesus came to bring was to burn up the power of sin and death that had us captured by being the sacrificial lamb for us. See, because he went to the cross in great distress, but he was able to endure it because of the mission, because of the joy that was set before him, that he would inherit the nations, just as Pastor Thierry said to us last Sunday, the fire, it never came down on the Samaritans as the disciples had expected, or the soldiers as Peter wanted to happen, because the fire came down on him. He got the wrath of God. He was baptized and immersed in the fire. He got ultimately what we deserved for our sinful nature. Now, up until this point, if someone was guilty of sin, what they would do is they would take a lamb and they would burn it in a sacrificial fire. But the scapegoat was never enough. Only Jesus bearing the sin of the world was enough where he could say, it is finished. The reason why the fire didn't come down on the Samaritans and why the soldier received a healing touch from Jesus instead of the sword of God's armies is because the fire was spared for Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And that is the secret to the key of change in identity in us. Unless we recognize what he has done for us and sing in our hearts from a sense of astoundment of his amazing grace, just as that former slave trader did in writing that song, Amazing Grace. You cannot, without that kind of revelation, without kind of that, that realization, you cannot change your identity, not without a radical sense of mercy, grace, and love that you personally experience. See, because you can't just be convinced that Jesus is Messiah. It's not just a decision. It's not just a smart move, a smart investment. It's not an act of your will. That's not transformation. That's, that's merely acting. There's only one way we can change the root of our personality, our very being, and that is the experience of a new source of love that can actually transform us. Until we are melted by the reality of what Jesus did for us, in taking that sacrificial fire upon himself. We cannot live the radical new mercy that he has called us to 
with a new identity and a new sense of priority in our life. We're just going to come to a close shortly. But I want to challenge all of us, really, because I believe that there's some of you today that might recognize yourself, just as I did in these stories. Perhaps you are admitting this morning that you haven't really been getting it. Maybe it's just a certain area in your life, or, or maybe just in general, you've been taking things for granted when it comes to what God has done for you. You haven't actively decided to live as a disciple. Yes, you call yourself a Christian. Yes, you go to church even. But you haven't actively decided that you're going to follow him through thick and thin, no matter the cost, to give up your comfort, to say, yes, Jesus, here I am. Use me. I want to challenge you this morning, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, to take that decision, to renew your commitment, to really be intentional about your journey of faith, to prioritize your God and his mission to build his church. And we've been talking about faith initiatives. We want to launch in, in London. We want to have an online ministry that reaches people, and we want to disciple people at an great level. And through City Hearts, we want to build community, all of these things. There's so much to do. There's so much to be excited about. But the, the harvest has always been great, but the laborers are few. And God, I believe, is inviting you to be a part of building his kingdom. So would you journey with us? Would you make a decision this morning in your heart that you're going to be a part in whatever way you can, whether it's with your time, with, with actively praying over these initiatives or, or giving into these initiatives through finance or resource, whatever way you can, that you say, yes, God, I want to be available. I want to prioritize you. I want to put you at first place in my heart and in my life. I want my schedule to reflect a prioritization for you and your kingdom, the things that you care about. That would be such an awesome thing. And just before we, we start praying, I also want to say, maybe you feel like you've been trying to follow, but you've compromised at times. And I think this is true for all of us. We all we have moments where we compromise, where we give God our second best or the leftovers. And it's okay if you've messed up. I mean, Peter and so many other guys in, in the Bible, you see that they stumbled on many occasions. But that's the great thing is that it's a journey. It's a process. And we have to accept that sometimes, that you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be plain, plain sailing. It's not always going to be a straight line in our journey of faith. But, you know, it's a journey that even Jesus had to go through. He even had to go through his moment of doubt and, and anxiousness when he was praying in Gethsemane, knowing what was ahead of him in his moment of discomfort. And yet he was able to persist and go to the cross and take up his cross. And he's challenging us in the same way this morning to take up our cross. Would we bear our cross, the things that he has called us to, in order to build his kingdom, to do the will of the Father just as he did? Perhaps this morning you feel like you aren't maturing as a disciple, that you don't have the fruit of gentleness that we've been speaking about, these fruits of the Spirit over your life, that maybe you're in a place where you feel like you aren't living a new mercy. You maybe feel frustrated in where you're at right now, that you maybe feel like you're in a rut more than you're at peace. Well, that's okay. You know, his disciples tried to show commitment through their zeal. They were like, Shall we bring down the fire, Jesus? They tried to show through their words and through their, their boisterousness that they were committed. But you know what God was actually lo looking for was people to live a new 
mercy. And I think that we've often been in that place where we, we want God to just do something. We want God to punish the wrongs that we see in the world. And perhaps that's a symptom of the wiring in this world where the ones that are the most committed, that are, are, are the most dedicated to the cause are the hardest on themselves and on others around them. But you know, the gospel is so that the harder you are or, or the more committed and focused you are, the more grace you show to others. That's a sign of a mature disciple. There's a gentleness, there's an ease, there's a grace, there's a peace about you. And that's the fruit of the spirit that God wants to produce in your life. So if you feel like you're not in that place, just be encouraged this morning that God wants to do a work in your life. He wants to bring an, a divine exchange where maybe your anxiousness will be replaced with peace and maybe your, your points of frustration will be replaced by just a rest in him. So just receive that this morning. You know, the great thing about Jesus is that his disciples, they aren't terrorists. When they see people doing wrong, they, they show grace. The, the, the more committed that we are to God, the more that we dedicate and give over our life to him, the more that self-righteousness and bitterness and striding and, and guilt will go away in our lives because we recognize that we are saved ultimately by grace and not by our works. And I think that's a fantastic fact and I praise God for that. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful counselor. He will love you and he will lead you as an individual. He won't give you a cut and paste formula, a, a template. Just as one man says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, go home and think about it. Another, the next man says, I want to think about it. And Jesus says, follow me. He wants to speak to us in a personal way. Wherever you are, wherever you are on your journey, wherever you might be at this point, the Holy Spirit wants to meet you where you're at. And he wants to help you take your next step on your journey of discipleship. He knows us better than we know, we know ourselves. So would you let him lead you this morning? Okay, let's just quickly pray as we close this service. Lord, Lord, I, I thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to a, a life of discipleship, a life of growth in you, Lord. But first, you need us to take that decision to, to prioritize you in our life, Lord. And I, I know at times that that can be daunting, that can be scary, and we doubt if we're, we're even capable of enduring that type of journey, Lord. But I thank you this morning that you encourage people to take the first steps, Lord. Encourage people to continue in their journey that might get, have got stuck or find themselves in a rut, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you encourage people that you are alive and working in their life, Lord God. And I thank you, Father, that you discern the condition of our heart and you speak to us, Lord. I pray this morning, Lord, would you speak to our hearts, Lord? Would you challenge us in how we can be a part of building your kingdom, Lord God. Just challenge us in, in ways that we can serve, ways that we can give, ways that we can give over more of our hearts to you, Lord God, because we want to flourish in our journey of faith, Lord. We want to see those fruits of the spirit of our lives that we're living by a new mercy that is a reflection of who you are and what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray all of this in your holy name, and we thank you for everything that you've done and who you are. Well, church, I hope that you were encouraged this morning. I hope you've got a lot to chew on and think about. I encourage you to spend time talking to your connect group leaders, talk to the guys in your connect, talk to your leaders, 
Seek out wisdom and counsel in this time. What maybe is your next step? And if you have any questions about maybe some of the faith initiatives or how you can grow as a disciple, well, luckily for you, we're going to be having a whole series now in this walk series, looking at discipleship with some practical tools and, and just wisdom from God's word. So please, please take advantage of that. Be following this series on the podcast and reach out. Let's, let's help each other as a community because iron sharpens iron. So God bless you. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and we'll see you back here next week.